Unlike laundry commercials or laundry detergents or new cars, when the church gets together, we don't have to present something that's new and improved. Pastor Preem and I don't have to go, okay, we got to come up with something we've never had before because the old message is, well, it's old. No, in the church, we celebrate uh, the historical tradition of preaching and teaching God's word in and out of season. One of the cool things about the church season, it really helps us process our earthly life in light of Christ's life that he lived and gave to us. When we think about the season of Lent, we want to know that the actual practice of Lent, not like we do it today, but the actual idea of Lent began all the way back in the days of the apostles themselves. What they realized very early on was that people that did not experience the crucifixion of Jesus up close, see it, watch him die, and then beyond that receiving in right away of his resurrection, well, they had a tendency to take the whole thing for granted. I mean, how many times do you have to hear the story of Jesus dying and rising again before you already know the story? And we can think about this, that about the same way when we look at our Lent this year. It ends with Easter, people. Do you know what that means? The tomb is empty. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. What are the, what's the purpose, therefore, for then special worship services? A 40-day period of time where we consider all that Jesus has done for us. And in that respect, what is our response to it? Lent, again, began with the desire to confront believers with the sorrow and the mourning experienced by the first disciples during those hours when Jesus was crucified and laid in the grave. And how then their sorrow turned to real joy on Easter when he rose on the third day. We may know the story. But preparing for that story that we'll tell again and again is a time for prayerfulness, thoughtfulness. So that when Christ rises and gives us this new life, we've spent some time preparing for it. And so Lent has turned into a, a time where we add disciplines, things that, well, Christians should do. Maybe instead of going to church every other Sunday uh, during Lent, let's make a goal of, of going every Sunday. Or what we're doing in this particular service of, of identifying other people and say, you're going to be here next week? Okay, I will too, all right? And so right now, you're not just listening to the service from your own perspective. You kind of have this little alliance going on between yourself and other people who promised they were going to be here. They are here, and so you're kind of hearing it in arguably more of a group setting. It isn't just about you. So we add disciplines that develop my faith, and camaraderie of the body of Christ is one of those. It's also a time where we get rid of things that really have no place. Let's be honest in the life of a Christian. I, mean, I, I was telling some people the other day that I, 
I usually spend at least an hour at the end of the day watching a show. An hour. Sometimes it goes a little longer depending how tired I'm not. But, you know, seven days a week, that's seven hours. I spend more time watching TV than I do church on a Sunday morning. Well, now you throw in Wednesdays and I can kind of get up to the seven if you know what I mean. But it's like, what is this seven hours for? I'm not taking away from your television shows. I'm just asking is that time benefiting me as a Christian? Is it helping me better appreciate what Christ has done for me so that I have a better understanding and the right motivation when it comes to my relationship with other people? Lent provides us that opportunity. The earliest disciples realized that Christians that weren't there had a tendency to take it for granted. And won't you agree that we kind of do that too? That's what Lent's for, to prepare us, to make us ready that that old story of Jesus' resurrection, when it comes again this year, it will have a greater meaning because I've taken the time to think about it. This particular Lenten theme that I'm doing on Wednesday is focusing on the language of Lent. I think part of the problem that we have when it comes to Lent is we take certain words for granted. We may not always understand, what are they a part of the celebration for? What does that have to do here? Last week, we picked up the idea of you are dust and to dust you return, that marking ourselves with ashes, and how that is a biblical practice to demonstrate to ourselves that as we feel the sadness and grief on the inside over our sins, we also look that way on the outside. We're not playing games with people. I'm okay when my sin is telling me I'm not okay. It's to realize that my personal story is filled with examples that remind me and you that we are perishable, that whatever story we're writing for ourselves, whatever legacy we're trying to put down, at the end of the day, it's going to go away. It's going to fade away. But the cool part of it for Christians is that our story isn't the story. God's narrative is the narrative that unites us not only together as a people, but also it incorporates us into God's plan of salvation for eternity. Yes, I may come and go, but God never does. And as Christians, we're connected to the story of Christ in arguably a, a very simple way. Our story is connected to God's narrative through Christ because we confess our sins. Because we believe that forgiveness of our sins comes from Jesus, along with the promise of eternal life in his name. God's big story incorporates all of our little stories into one. One could say that is, it is the story that helps us understand who we are, where we're going, and why we're here. God's narrative ties us together. 
But as I mentioned last week, I think one of the things that we've kind of gotten into in observance of Lent is that it becomes a personal thing. I'm giving this up for Lent. I'm giving this up for Lent. I'm not going to do this. I am going to do this. This is my Lent, and this is how it's going to be expressed. Nothing wrong with that. But there's more to it than that. You're surrounded today by brothers and sisters in Christ called into this place and into this time by God's grace, his love for you. And there is a story of God that doesn't just apply to me. It applies to all of us. It unites all of us. And God actually, during Lent and throughout the year, encourages us to live together in the story that defines us. And that's the story of God's love for all people. Now, this isn't something new. Uh, actually, this is found all throughout Scripture. Uh, I, I teach um, a Bible class on, on the second and fourth Tuesdays of the month, and we're going through the Old Testament, focusing on the grace of God in the Old Testament. And uh, last night, one of the topics that came out, because I knew I was going to talk about this tonight, was how God made the Israelites into a nation. And that occurred in Exodus chapter 12. <clears throat> the Israelites prior to this had their elders. Moses did his work with the, the Pharaoh. Let my people go. We are now down to the 10th and final plague. And in chapter 12, the Lord is talking to Moses about how he is going to make or define this nation. And it's all about the Passover. Here's a few words. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Now you're going to say to yourself, self, what's so exciting about that? One of the bad things or trashy things I think about the English language is you never know if you is plural or singular. Hey, you! What? Talking to me? Pastor now have that sometimes. Hey, pastor, which way are you talking to here, you know? But you, is it you? Is it you? Or is you all of us? In this reading from Exodus 12, you is always plural. God will talk to Moses. He has talked to others. But when he talks about his people, when he talks about his work, he is always using plural, us, all of us at the same time. The Passover meal is going to be set then in the first month of the first of the year for the Israelites, okay? He goes on, tell all the congregation of Israel. Notice what he did. He refers to the people of Israel as what? A congregation, an assembly, a group that belongs to me. There's other words I'll talk about in a second that he also uses elsewhere in Scripture, but he is not talking about the Passover in the singular. He's talking about the Passover in the plural. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the month. 
So guess what everybody's going to do? They're all going to go out on the 10th day of the month, pick out a respectable, unblemished lamb or goat. I'm going to refer to lamb from now on because of Jesus, but it's lamb or goat. And you're going to do what with that? You're going to keep it for four days. So what are all the people of Israel doing between the 10th and the 14th? They're all watching the animal, aren't they? Now listen, then they, that's everybody, on the 14th day, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. So on the twilight of the 14th day, you're going to hear this racket right before the twilight and the sun goes down. It's going to be nerve-wracking because everybody's getting their sheep out there, right? And in a moment, at the same time, everybody's going to sacrifice the lamb. And it goes from loud to, what just happened? Everybody killed the lamb at the same time. Let me pause for a second. Speak to those who made an agreement with somebody else in this room. I'll see you next week. Have you not kind of appreciated the fact that the service is a little different because there's this little thing between you and the people you said you were going to be here with? I'm not trying to make a big thing out of it. I don't want it to walk on water or anything, but there is something special because you made a promise and you both kept it and you're here at night. You're hearing the same lesson. For those of, uh, of you who didn't, there's almost this singularity of hearing. Well, what's God telling me? And God's not telling me. He's telling all of us the same thing. When God called or made the nation of Israel Based on the celebration of the Passover meal, they all acted together. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the doorposts and the lintel of the house in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night in the manner you shall, and in a manner you shall eat it. So as soon as the, the lambs are sacrificed, what's everybody doing? Everybody is taking that blood, and at the same time, they're marking the sides and the top of the door so that when the angel of death pass over, they're going to see the lamb's blood. Once that's done, what's everybody doing? They're going to go in and eat the Passover meal. And they're going to eat it in an interesting manner, and I'm only doing this because it's late, and I think I'm going to lose some of you if I don't. This is how they're supposed to eat it. They wear tunics. This idea is to kind of turn the dress into a pair of gaucho pants or something like that. Because guess what we're doing tomorrow? We're leaving. This is the night before. You're going to eat it as if you're getting ready to leave now. How are all the people eating? They're eating it the same way. They're all confessing that God is going to do something tomorrow and we're going to be a part of it. All of us. Not just you, not just you, although I'll be impacted as an individual. The impact is what God does to the assembly, to the congregation, to all of us. This 
blood shall be a sign for you on your houses where you are. This day shall be for you a memorial day. You shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. As a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. And you know what they did? For the next 1,500 years, they kept that. Even to this day, to some degree, Jewish people will still honor the Passover meal. But on the night Jesus was betrayed, what meal was Jesus eating with his disciples? The Passover meal, where he takes the bread and says, take, eat, this is my body. He takes the cup after supper and says, take, drink, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Where the Passover celebrated what was going to be the greatest act of God's deliverance in history at that point, Jesus is celebrating that same meal on the night he was betrayed before he gave us an even greater sacrifice, a greater act of deliverance that Jesus was going to die on the cross for the sins of all people. Who would have thought it? And even though your sins are forgiven, there's a sense of purpose and meaning when we realize that, well, yeah, yours aren't the only ones that are forgiven. All of them are. So what do we have in common tonight? All of us have in common that Jesus died on the cross for each one of us, and he has forgiven our sins. We have a bonding experience whenever we get together as the congregation that calls us into this group. Now, there's other words that the scripture uses. Uh, Romans 12 says this, for as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and each member belongs to all the others. I believe God's word is telling the truth there. He's having us think about ourselves as if we're a body. We're different in the body, but there's many of us, but we come together as one body in Jesus. And you know what? We belong to each other. It's not my life to live without you as a brother, sister in Christ. It's what we have together. And what God is doing in our congregation, in our gathering, that isn't just about you. It's about all of us. We could talk about God's church as being a building, or we're the bride of Christ, or we're a flock of sheep and he's our good shepherd or as we confessed earlier in the apostles creed we believe in the communion of saints it's a part of our lingo it's what we understand i think the difficult thing when it comes to lent is how do you put it to practice some of you probably are already going oh no what is he going to ask us to do i'm not going to ask you to do anything but I'm pretty sure if you're listening and you're paying attention and I'm doing my job, the Holy Spirit is telling you something. And you might not like what he's telling you. After all, you're an introit. Infer- uh, you're really not one of those social people. You don't know what you're going to say. Surely you're not going to tell me to do that. I'm not going to tell you to do that. But you already noted another family last week and said, hey, I make you a promise to be here. 
and your relationship with that person is changed a bit tonight. Magnify that. Is that when God's people get together, when God's people observe the season of Lent, it isn't just about me, although I'm a part of it. It's about all of us. And how God is taking the congregation as it prayerfully considers the sacrificial life and death of Jesus. And how we don't deserve it. And how we take it for granted. But boy, this Lent, we're going to focus. We want to be prepared so that when Easter comes, not only are we aware of the sacrifice, but we understand the impact of the new life that we have been given because we thought about it. I'm going to read something which you never are supposed to do. This is from a guy by the name of Gordon Lathrop. The church is not a collection of consuming individuals, choosing religious goods according to their own selfish perceived needs or desires. It's not a club supporting a particular ideology. It's not the audience for a speaker's eloquence or a choir's concert or a priest's rituals. The local church assembly is itself, as a gathering, the primary symbol of God's work in that place. By its participation, by its communal mode of song and prayer around scripture reading, meal keeping and bathing, reference to baptism, it is being transformed, the body, is being transformed into a primary witness to the identity of God and the identity of the world before God. We live in a culture that doesn't appreciate this stuff. The church is there as a whole, as a group, to bind our little stories into that story that's about Jesus Christ. A story that gives hope and direction to our story, not only individually, but corporately. We have a goal. We have a purpose. We have an inheritance, a direction. And you know what keeps us in that story is the very faith that he gives to us. The faith that is a shield that helps protect us against the enemy attack that says, you go to church, what a dumb idea. Why do you do that? That doesn't make any sense. Of course it doesn't make sense to those who are perishing. They don't have the Holy Spirit. They don't understand what God does at times like this. Where he draws our attention to a bigger story found in Christ and in what we as a congregation do as his people. We're not killing lambs at the same time. We're putting blood on our, our, our doorposts. We're not eating a Passover meal with our stuff tucked up like I did earlier. We're not doing any of that. But we have a mission. We have a purpose. And this Lent, the goal is to help you see the greater thing of what God is doing. Sometimes doing devotions is hard. But isn't it easier if you have somebody to do it with? 
Sometimes when you do a service project, oh, that was hard work. But when somebody's with you and working with you on it, a shared goal in the name of Jesus as a part of the ministry of the congregation to which you have been called, that's powerful stuff. That's a witness that doesn't exist outside of God's people because outside of God's people, you have individually selfish-minded people that are always acting on their own behalf. And we know that because that's the source of our sin, isn't it? But unlike the world, we have a Savior that reminds me and you, plural, of what God has done for all of us. There's something bigger going on whenever the church gets together. All I'm asking this Lenten season is that you're aware of it. And to whatever degree you can, you kind of have fun with it. Pick out each other. Make commitments. I'll, I'll see you next week. Because I understand there's more going on here than just me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.